Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis-Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Jo Francis Penn. In today's episode, I talk to Helen Moat about her cycle trip across Europe to Istanbul and how it became far more than just a cycling trip, but also a chance to reassess her life. This is also a really encouraging interview because Helen says she's not a cyclist, she's not very adventurous and she can't read maps. She rode on a sit-up-and-beg bike, didn't do much training and took her son along as companion and map reader. She was worried about not being fit enough to get up the hills, about getting lost, getting punctures and even about dogs chasing them in Eastern Europe, as well as worrying about what they might face along the way. But they took their time and saw the sights and got off the bikes and pushed when the hills were too steep and met lots of wonderful people. And basically, it's a tale of giving it a go, even if you haven't done much preparation or feeling like you're a particularly adventurous person. So I really enjoyed this interview and it certainly (laughs) made me want to start cycling more. Like Helen, I prefer to walk, but you can cover much more ground on a bike. And I have done a couple of cycling holidays with Exodus, a travel company that specialises in more active adventures. We did three weeks down the west coast of India into Kerala a few years back, which was fantastic. Uh, Although I did come off my bike in the post-monsoon potholes and I still have a scar on my knee from that trip. We also did the Dalmatian coast in Croatia, island hopping with bikes, which was just gorgeous. Really uh, recommend Croatia. And we did have Cambodia booked actually this year, but that is postponed as I record this. It is pandemic summer. (laughs) But if you fancy doing a bike adventure and you want backup and a guide and help, there are tour companies who do trips and also lots of great guidebooks to the main cycle routes. And also, excitingly, there are post-pandemic plans to expand cycling in European cities and also across Europe. So that's a really encouraging sign and there'll be more options to come for cyclists of all levels. So I certainly fancy getting out into the sunshine and cycling along the Danube. When you have a river on one side, it's harder to get lost and uh, it would be just beautiful to get out there now. So I hope you enjoy the interview. Helen Moat is an author and freelance travel writer for Wanderlust and BBC Countryfile, originally from Northern Ireland. Today we're talking about her latest book, A Time of Birds, Reflections on Cycling Across Europe. Welcome, Helen. Hi, Jill. It's good to talk to you. Oh, thanks for coming on. So the book is about cycling to Istanbul with your son, which is super adventurous. So why did you decide to take this trip? What led to it? I think it was a moment of pure madness, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, actually, um, when I first had the idea, I mentioned it to my brother, who really is an excellent cyclist. And actually, at that point, I didn't really cycle. I like walking, but I never cycled. And when I, t- I told him that I was planning to cycle to Istanbul, he looked really puzzled. And he said, but Helen, you're a walker. You're not a cyclist. But um, I had read a book by a guy called Nick Hunt, 
who had walked at Istanbul in the footsteps of Patrick Lee Fumer. And um, I thought I'd really love to do that. I was in a job I wasn't very happy in, felt I couldn't leave at that point, but imagined it was something that would keep me going uh, maybe three years down the line and I could take off and do this trip. And I figured that walking would take too long. Uh, so I decided, yeah, I'll cycle it. So that was uh, the reason why I decided to do this trip and a midlife crisis, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so it was interesting that you went with your son, though, in the end. So you mentioned your brother there, but how come you ended up going with your son? And and how was that? Because doing things with family can be good and bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, first of all, um, I'm quite a sociable person, so I didn't really fancy doing it by myself. I'm not that uh, adventurous. But uh, secondly, I'm really rubbish at reading maps. So and my son is just brilliant. So he was actually 15 when I first mentioned it. And I said, yeah, would you cycle to Istanbul with me? And like any other 15 he said, year old, he said, yeah, OK, thinking it would never happen. And then when he left school at 18, I mentioned it again. And he's such a lovely guy because he had made this promise to me. He, he, want, he decided he would keep it. He just didn't tell any of his friends he was going cycling with his mum, as that wasn't cool. <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> so, so how long did it take you? Well, to be quite honest, a long time. It took us three and a half months, but I, I did a degree in German at school. So I had friends in Germany, Switzerland and Austria. So uh, we really took our time and uh, we made sure we looked at the sites along the way. We stayed with friends for a few days. So I really dawdled really slow, but that's the way to cycle as far as I'm concerned. Mm, Absolutely. So let's think about some of the highlights because, you know, three and a half months, I imagine a lot of it was just peddling. But what are some of the highlights or things that surprised you along the way? So we left Joe on the 1st of May, right at the beginning of uh, spring. Uh, well, not right at the beginning, but close to the beginning of spring. And the weather was, well, it was a little bit cold to begin with, but it very quickly warmed up. And um, I did mention I wasn't much of a cyclist. So I had this cunning plan that I would cycle the Rhine and the Danube. And I figured it would be pretty flat. And it was, especially the Rhine. Uh, But the weather, you know, slowly warmed up and it was beautiful. There was so much bird song, you know, the the river banks were bursting with wildflowers. So it was just gorgeous. So definitely nature was a highlight. And the other thing that was a highlight for me was the people we met along the way. So um, I did something called Couchsurfing, which is a hospitality website. You can link up with people on online and they offer a bed or just a sofa, a meal, and they will put you up for the night. And to begin with, I was a little bit wary of this. I thought, oh, staying with total strangers, is that not uh, a little bit risky? But I did it and we stayed with people right across the continent of Europe and in Turkey. And it was the best experience. You know, it really restores your, uh, your faith in human nature. And all along the way, you know, from uh, strangers in Germany to um, a lovely lady in, in, in Hungary who her and her son cooked up this amazing Hungarian meal from the guy who ran out of his garden in Romania, total stranger, and just handed us some beef 
tomatoes to the farmers, two twin brothers in Turkey who put us up and took us into town. And we had this lovely evening with their farming friends, drinking tea daintily from China cups, as you do in Turkey. (laughs) So, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. And I think, I mean, you've mentioned you, you you didn't like cycling before that. So what training did you do for this? I mean, you, you but I've had a look and you've obviously a walker, you do a lot of walking, but the tr- cycling is different. So did, what did you do to prepare? Uh, to be quite honest, very little. At that time, I was writing the slow guide to the Peak District for Brat guidebooks and really didn't have time. You know, I had to do last minute edits. So I did a little bit. I think they, a few months before I cycled with my son to my sister in Hitchin from Derbyshire. Um, and, you know, the odd little bit, but very little um, preparation for the trip. And what kind of bike did you buy as well? Because I've done a bit of uh, mountain biking and it really does seem that, for example, the type of saddle can make a big difference as to how comfortable things are and, uh, you know, the saddlebags and that type of thing. So how did you like get the bike? Well, you know, again, really silly decision. I decided I wanted to sit up and beg bike. You know, I could see around me better. I thought it would be more comfortable. You mentioned the saddle. The saddle was brilliant. It was really comfortable. I bought a giant sit up and beg bike. And my son joked that I, you know, I was sitting on the sofa. He'd call my bike the sofa sometimes when he wasn't calling it the tank. And that's why it was so inappropriate because it was a very heavy bicycle. Lovely to ride, great on the flat, but absolutely terrible on hills. When I got to Dortrecht, I stayed with a couch surfing couple there. And Asher, the guy, just looked at my bike and said, Helen, this is a bike to cross town on, not not to cross a continent. (laughs) So totally inappropriate. But I got there uh, by hook or by crook. And when it got really steep, I just got off my bike and walked up the hills and my son and I would jokingly call it uh, we were doing a bike and a hike bike hike (laughs) (laughs) I love that because I also like sit up and beg bikes if people don't know who are listening it's the one with a sort of basket on the front (laughs) isn't it so you kind of sit up straight and um, yeah you you definitely look like you're riding around Oxford as a student or something but no that's that's fantastic so then the preparation again you mentioned your rubbish at reading maps now when when people think about let's go from England to Istanbul I mean did you just set off or did you plan a route you and your son or how did you kind of plan it Uh, So we did two routes, basically, um, two European routes, uh, Route 6 and Route 15. Uh, I think they're called the Vela routes. The name just escapes me, escapes me at the moment. But um, you can buy the books to go with these routes as well. So the Rhine route was very easy. It's very well signposted. Uh, Likewise, the Danube, we had all the, the bike books that go with that route. And then by the time we sort of went off, Peace in Bulgaria and left the two rivers behind. Um, I mean, Jamie just used his Google Maps on the on his phone, and yeah, he was brilliant. I mean, he would stop his bike and go three lefts, four rights, okay, straight away, uh, straight ahead, and you know he wouldn't need to look at a map again for another 10, 15 minutes. Without, <laughs> without him, I would have been completely lost. I think. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Well, did you get lost at all? Uh, I I think Jamie went 
wrong once for about 10 minutes and we had to backtrack. And considering we cycled well over 3,000 miles, that's not bad going, is it? Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> so, okay, you so you weren't worried about getting lost because you had Jamie with you. But what were some of the fears that you faced both, I guess, before the trip and while you were away? Uh, I had so many fears uh, that went through my head before we went. I thought, oh, I'm going to manage. Am I going to manage on this really heavy bike? How am I going to manage on the hills, not having practiced much, not being very fit? I worried about, um, you know, something going wrong with the bicycle in the middle of nowhere. I knew nothing about bicycles. I didn't even really know how to fix a puncture, but we filled the bikes with slime, which is a great product. If you do get a, a flat, you know, it just... Um, seals itself again the tar with the sort of a glue-like substance so that was brilliant um, and I worried about the dogs in Eastern Europe that I'd heard about about the sort of pickpockets but actually you know you know that saying uh, that people say you 90% of what you worry about never happens and that was definitely true about my worries um, you know the dogs I kind of would just turn my bikes at them and shout at them. They'd slink off. So we didn't have any problems with, um, you know, pickpockets or anything like that. In fact, quite the opposite. People were incredibly kind on, on the journey. Mm. But did anything bad happen or was it just everything was perfect? <laughs> no, that, that's true. And actually, I did mention that um, I did worry about something going wrong with the bikes uh, on the journey. And when we were in Romania, I think it started in Croatia. Yeah, we had our first, Jamie had his first broken spoke in Croatia. And we happened to be in a town with a bike shop. They fixed it, no problem. Uh, but then we were out in the sticks and it happened again. And it happened a couple of times. And one of the times was in a very rural area of Romania. And there were no bike shops anywhere. And um, luckily, we found someone in a hotel who had an old bicycle where they took off a spoke at, that was the right size for Jamie's big wheels, luckily, and fixed it. And then it happened again in Bulgaria. And this time we were about to cross the Balkan Mountains and he broke three spokes uh, in, in within 24 hours and we thought we can't cycle on but we were in the middle of the mountains so we stopped at a little shop and the man in there put us in touch with his son on a mobile and they arranged for someone to drive us over the Balkan Pass uh, into Atos in Bulgaria so that was really lucky. And it meant that I didn't have to climb outside on the very steepest part of the journey. <laughs> it turned out to be quite fortuitous. Uh, oh, well, maybe you actually caused that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I sneakily snipped his spoke. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's interesting because, you know, it does seem like you just sort of set off without massive preparation and it did really work, uh, which is amazing. But if you were giving tips to someone else who wanted to do this or if you were going to do it again what would you do differently or, or how would you prepare differently I would definitely um, buy I would have definitely chosen a different bike as soon as I got home I started cycling with a friend of mine in the Peak District and you know it's not exactly flat so 
I had to get out of the, the, the valley floor and go up into the hills. So I bought a hybrid. So definitely wouldn't recognize, wouldn't recommend cycling across Europe on a sit up and beg bike. Lovely as it was, um, I would get a, a good hybrid bike. And apart from that, I, my advice would be if you like the idea, just do it. It's the most wonderful experience I've had in my life. And all you need to be, yeah, you don't need to be that fit. You just need to turn the pedals. Uh, my, my idea was I'd cycle into fitness and I did to, to a large extent on the way. Oh, that is a good tip. But when you say a hybrid bike, um, what, what is that? Do you mean like a half electric bike or... No, I, I just mean that a bike that is not a road bike with very thin tires, a hybrid is probably something between a road bike and a mountain bike. So you can go off, you can go off um, surfaced roads on it because often on our trip, we were cycling alongside the river on rough tracks. So, yeah. But definitely not a set up and beg bike. If once you're going on the hills, it's not really that great. <laughs> I, I love that. Now you mentioned slow travel, and you've written another book about slow travel. And I mean, I I do a lot of walking. I understand walking is slow, but I I kind of don't see cycling as that slow. So how is the world different when you're cycling, and what different perspective does it give you? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, obviously, walking is the ultimate slow travel and you can really take in your environment. But cycling is definitely the next best thing. I mean, if I imagine doing the journey I did in a car surrounded by metal, you know, on a bicycle, you can engage all five senses. You smell the wildflowers, you smell the, you know, the, the bread from the bakeries you go past, you hear the bird song, you know, you'd feel the grass against your leg as you're cycling along. So it, it's brilliant in that sense. And you can stop very easily if you see somebody you want to talk to, if you see something you want to look more closely at, it's much easier to stop a bicycle than a car. Mm, and did you get off the bikes? Did, I mean, did you like, okay, we want to go see that place. We're going to lock up the bikes and walk to the to that. Or did you just stay on the bikes the whole time? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, we would sometimes just chain up our bikes. I remember we went up to a temple on top of a hill in Germany. Uh, so we just chained up our bikes and, and walked up there. Uh, so we did do detours on the bike as well. We didn't always stay in the road. If there was something or somewhere we wanted to visit. Um, we would We would do that. Mm. And you've obviously the, the book is called A Time of Birds and you mentioned the bird song there. So why are birds so important to you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so the book isn't just a, a description of the journey that I did. It, it's also a memoir. So as I was uh, as I set off on the journey, my father, who was 92 at the time, um, he was ailing. He was in a care home and he um, loved birds. He was he really loved nature, as I do. And so as I was cycling along, I, I thought about him quite a lot. You know, when I heard the bird song, which was so, you know, the, it was a, a, in springtime, the birds were nesting and mating. So there was lots of bird song. So I thought about him. And then at the end of the journey, he sadly died. I mean, as I was waiting in the airport to fly home with the bikes boxed up, this message pinged up on my phone to say that he was dying. And we had a difficult relationship um, 
in some ways. And so the book is a little bit about, you know, coming to terms with with my childhood and growing up in Northern Ireland. So, yeah, there is that um, second journey, if you like, sort of coming to terms with my past in the book. And what were some of the birds that you particularly remember from the trip? Um, well, obviously, mm, I, the, the storks really were a highlight because that's not something we see in the UK. Um, and all along the Danube, you would have the, these a uh, huge nests uh, and these, you know, fledglings that are quite big in comparison to other birds. So the, the storks were really something special. And the other thing in the journey as well was listening to the cuckoo, because my dad would say every spring, beginning of May, ah, there's the first call of the cuckoo. So all along the journey, and again, the cuckoo is becoming more and more rare in, in the UK, in England especially. And um, so to hear the cuckoo on the journey was really something special. Mm. And you mentioned at the beginning that perhaps the trip was a bit of a midlife crisis uh, and obviously the situation with your father. But did you feel like something had uh, healed in that trip? Like, did you resolve your crisis? Absolutely. And I mentioned that I had uh, sort of had this goal that would get me through this difficult job. But I ended up suffering from anxiety and depression. And in the end, I had to leave my job. I left quite abruptly. So um, yeah, the journey was definitely a, a healing, you know, two aspects. Uh, when you're cycling, you're very much living in the moment. You know, I talked about engaging your senses. You're just, you know, listening to what's going on around you, focused on what you can see. Uh, and the other thing was, were the people, the wonderful people I met on the way. And that really restored my faith in, in human nature. So it was definitely a very healing experience. Mm. And how have you taken what you learned or I guess the practices from that trip into your life now? Are you mainly walking or cycling or how has it impacted you? Uh, definitely, um, you, uh, especially at the moment in lockdown, as you know, we can't travel very far. So I've been doing lots of walks locally, not so much cycling, because when I cycle, I like to cycle for a half day or a whole day and do, you know, a good number of miles and hopefully go to somewhere I haven't been before. But just walking around Matlock, where I live, um, I've really been slowing down even more because we can't go that far. I've been listening to the birdsong. I've been very much trying to improve my knowledge of birdsong um, uh, recently. So, um, and I don't know if you feel the same way in your walks, that we're just slowing down so much more and and listening and, and taking in just that little area around us much more than we would have done beforehand. Yeah, I know what you mean. We actually walked up, um, I live in Bath and nearby Little Salisbury Hill and the skylarks are nesting at the moment. So oh, they're all, lovely. you know, flitting above uh, this sort of uh, fort that we have on the hill. And it's uh, it's just so lovely to hear the birds. And I'm, but I'm like you, I'm, I'm kind of like, I love the bird song, but I'm not sure which birds it is, <laughs> which is yeah. funny. So I was also going to ask you um, about borders because there are borders. There's a map in the book with borders and you've talked about the different countries and uh, there's you talk about razor wire in Eastern Europe. And uh, since you did the trip, of course, we have had Brexit 
Well, although, as, as you said, we're, we're this year, we're meant to be leaving, but who knows? <laughs> it's, it's still a difficult. And of course, being from Northern Ireland, borders have had a huge uh, impact on, on your life. Mm-hmm. So what, what are your thoughts on borders and the separations and what you've seen on, on the trip and in your, in your life? Yeah, that's a really good question, Joe. And I think growing up in Northern Ireland, of course, I was very aware of of the border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Um, It was a very dangerous place to go. My father used to love going to Donegal and, and Galway, even down towards Dublin, further afield. But once the trouble started, he was really loathe to cross borders because there would have been ambushes. Uh, there would have been shootings there. He didn't feel it was safe. So um, for me, um, and again, in a different way, in the town where I live, there was a kind of voluntary segregation between the Protestant and Catholic community. So I think I grew up personally sort of feeling that um, I valued sort of tolerance and and, um, an open world, if you like. And when I was cycling through Europe, that sense that I could just fly through borders, you know, quite often not even being asked for a passport. That was really special for me. And because I did German at university, I spent a lot of time in Europe. So I'm a, I am a real Europophile, um, a Europhile. But um, yeah, I feel like I'm a child of the world. And, um, you know, traveling through, cycling through Croatia and seeing so many houses that still had bullet holes in them. Uh, I think I really appreciate um, the, the peaceful world we have lived in since the Second World War and that kind of openness uh, that sadly, you know, is we're sort of forgetting that a little bit, I feel, at the moment. Um and so I'm not a nationalist in, in any form. I think it's great if we, um, you know, if we're proud of our country. But if you think about the UK, you know, we're such a mix. You know, we're so influenced by Vikings and the Normans and the Saxons. There's, there's no such thing, I don't really think, as a monoculture. And that was really evident going across Europe as well when we went into Eastern Europe and we saw the influence of the Ottomans there. So uh, the Ottoman Empire. So yeah, I'm definitely an advocate for for open borders and and tolerance and and just celebrating the wonderful diversity we have in this world. Mm, no, I'm definitely there too. And of course, what's nice about cycling, I think, is that you can't tell what nationality people are. Like people cycle all over the world, whereas with driving, you think, oh, that car's got that number plate or it's it's that type of car, so it must be German or, or whatever. I feel like bicycles are this sort of international form of travel. Yeah, that's a really good way of thinking about it. And of course, uh, on the journey, I met cyclists from all over Europe and, uh, and you, you know, you stop and you talk to them, especially if they have panniers in your bicycle, you recognize your fellow long distance cyclists. So yeah, that was really special. Mm. And of course, you mentioned we're in lockdown as we're recording this uh, in beginning of May 2020 in in what's ev- everywhere <laughs> as we record this. But um, it, it makes travel sort of even more precious at this time because we can't even travel. You know, I can't even visit my mum in Bristol, which is, uh, you know, not very far away. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, why why is travel so important and what does it bring to your life and your writing? 
Yeah, it's, it's, that's another really good question. Growing up in Northern Ireland, um, my dad had a little grocery shop and um, he was self-employed. He didn't have any employees. And so he couldn't really go away for a, a long period of time. He would mostly do day trips or a Saturday afternoon to the beach. But he loved traveling and he would drive for miles and miles, whatever he could achieve within a single day. And um I think I got that from him. I just have this curiosity about the world. Um, I've traveled quite a bit. I've traveled, you know, in Asia and Africa, uh, across all of Europe. Um, and I love I love just the, the physical beauty of this world and the, the diversity of geology and geography in the world. Uh, and I'm really interested in people and other cultures, how people live. So that's something that that is um you know part of that curiosity i suppose and also the thing that struck me as well traveling around the world i have good friends in sri lanka i've been a couple of times and you know you see how different the culture is in some ways but what you also see is human beings the world across we have the same set of emotions you know we feel joy we feel jealousy we feel love you know it's exactly fear exactly the same kind uh, set of emotions wherever we are in the world. Mm. And uh, where are you going to go after lockdown ends and we're all free to travel again? Oh, where, where do we start? Actually, um, I started cycling the Baltic Sea route and a couple of years with my husband and uh, friends of mine. We did the Denmark section of the Baltic Sea route, uh, which was beautiful. You know, we were on ferries and crossing bridges onto little islands and Copenhagen is a very fine end point. So I'd like to continue that. There's some really interesting countries along the way, like Lithuania and so on, where I haven't been. Um, so I'd like to do, do that cycle trip. But so many places I'd like to go to. I, I really don't know where to begin. I, I know the feeling it, when you're not allowed to go places, it, it suddenly you start your list. I've got this list and I keep moving things around, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite funny. But um, OK, so uh, apart from your own book, which is A Time of Birds, uh, what are a couple of other, say, three to five other books about cycling or European travel that, that you recommend? Oh, yeah. Um have you come across Horatio Clare? No, not at all. No. Oh, he he is an absolutely fantastic writer. Um, what one of my favorite books from him is called uh, Running for the Hills. He grew up. He he's a he started off as a journalist working for the BBC, uh, and his parents were journalists. And he grew up on a sheep farm, really in a very um, inhospitable place up in the Black Hills, I think, in Wales. And he's just such a lyrical writer brilliant writer. So um, I definitely recommend him. Um, and I suppose Dervla Murphy, uh, the Irish writer, she really influenced me as well. She wrote a book, oh, I think back in the 60s, I'm not sure, called Full Tilt, when she cycled off uh, to Italy, uh, India, sorry, uh, all the way to India and not something that women did back then. A really tough woman, takes no prisoners, passionate about travel, still very much alive and totally eccentric, living in a little town in, in Ireland. And she's an absolutely inspirational travel writer. 
And then I've got a friend, Elizabeth Gowing, who has lived for many years in Kosovo, and she's written some wonderful books about Kosovo. Uh, it's not a very well-known country, but she's written a beautiful book uh, called The Rubbish Picker's Wife, An Unlikely Friendship in Kosovo. She spent a lot of time working with Roma and Ashkali and Egyptian uh, communities in, in um, Kosovo, and that's a lovely book. And she also wrote another one uh, called Travels in Blood and Honey when she first moved out to Kosovo and started looking after bees. And um, she has lots of fantastic recipes in that book uh, which use honey. So she's a brilliant writer as well. And Laurie Lee, uh, as I walked out one midsummer morning, another fantastic lyrical writer. And it's a really interesting historical look at Spain um, before the war. And Amy Liptrot, Outrun, she combines place and nature and a memoir. Um, it's about the, the um, I think it's Shetland Islands. Um, so the Orkneys, I think. Mm. But anyway, um, fantastic book. She's a really good writer as well. Mm, oh, that gives us lots of things to read, which is brilliant. <laughs> so where can people find you and your books online? So um, obviously you can get my book from um, Amazon uh, or Waterstones. Um, certainly a lot of the independent bookshops will have the book. And if they don't, you can even get it uh, in lockdown. They will order it for you and get it backed off to you. And Saraband, the publisher as well you can buy the book from them as too if you go to their website fantastic well thanks so much for your time helen that was great thank you joe it was really good to talk to you thanks for joining me today on the books and travel podcast i hope you found a moment of escape you can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page and if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.